You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jay Harwood's another edition of Amazing Conversation with the great Mets signing reporter Steve Gelb. I don't feel that you and I are alike in a lot of ways. You, you know what I'm going to say? I have a funny feeling. Yeah. Um, I went through my life, my, my, my 38 years in the locker room, I was always willing to be able to laugh at myself. Uh-huh. Not to, to do the job, but not to say, get crazy about what you're doing. Give me two examples. Jacob DeGrom, okay? We didn't like to do a whole lot of interviews. I had this game with him. Uh, uh, he would always say, I'll do the interview if you can make four or five shots in the basket in the locker room. Uh-huh. I never made four or five shots, but he always did the interview. He'd always do it, yeah. And you, uh, Steve, we have to come out and hit fungos, him and Steve and Matt. Never even hit the ball, but I did it. The point I'm trying to make is, Steve, you established, you know, when you came in, it was tough for you in the beginning. Very right? tough, yeah. Succeeding, you know, Kevin Burkhart, very popular guy. You come with a veteran crew, Keith and Ronnie and, and Gary. And, but you did stuff to, to, you know, to do the job, but able to, like, work, to have fun with yourself. Yeah, I mean... Hopefully, I think at this point, I've been able to endear myself to people with that. No you know, question. The, the beginning, you're 100% right, was incredibly difficult. I mean, I was trying to take the baton from where Kevin was right. and go, and that's impossible to do. First of all, I'm not Kevin, right? So right. you're doing yourself a disservice if you're trying to be somebody else. But, I mean, you know this, and, and in retrospect, it's easy to, to think this. Especially in baseball, it takes years to build the level of trust no with question. the people that you're covering. Um, so you just can't be that person right off the bat. Uh, but I have always, in terms of the you know having fun with it and, and being able to laugh at myself, I've always had this belief that if what I was doing covering sports ever felt too much like a job and took the joy out of sports in my life, I'd stop doing it. Yeah. Um, it, and so that's that's always so been a, a tenant. 2015, your first year. Yeah. You know, Johnny Franco always told me, if the guys don't like you, they won't screw with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Keith and Ronnie have fun with you, but they love you. Yeah, and and, yeah. and you know, how long did it take you to get to that place now with them, with them? So, I mean, it took a little while. And I, I've told the story before, but, um, you know, Keith was really the, the one that in 2015, after a few months, kind of let me exhale a little bit because, um, you know, coming into this, this broadcast, such a prestigious broadcast, it wasn't just about, you know, replacing Kevin. It was about trying to match what those three did and what the guys in our truck do. And, you know, there's, there's this pressure that um, is real to make sure that you're not the weak link. And in a lot of respects, in the same way that, you know, baseball players talk about putting too much pressure on yourself as a baseball player works against you. That was the same for me. I, I was really tightly wound trying to make sure that I, I did something every night that was you know, right. so good. And I remember we were in, in Tampa Bay, I believe it was August of my first year, and it was just Keith and I going from the hotel to Tropicana Field. And you know, he just starts talking to me the way that he you know, would as a captain, as right. a player, right? Hey, you know, you're doing a good job. Don't, don't worry. You're going to get there. Like, just keep your head down. Keep working. And so I appreciated that. And then he says to me, 
they were just transitions, and he goes, you know, this Tropicana field reminds me a lot of the old Astrodome, and, um, you know, would you do me a favor, and tonight after the game, will you go back and do some research for me, some notes on the old Astrodome, right. and maybe comparing it to Tropicana Field, and so, you know, I'm, yeah, I'll, whatever you want, I'll do your work, you know, I'll do your work for you, yeah, yeah absolutely, right? <laughs> so uh, I go back, and I stay up late, and I'm doing all this research, and the next day I get to the ballpark, and I say to Keith, hey, I've got all this stuff for you, and he kind of, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't have time to get into it right yeah. now. Okay, all right, no problem. So we're on the air that night, and it's probably the fifth inning. I don't remember if I had been in the middle of a story or something. But out of nowhere, Keith's talking, and he starts bringing up the Astrodome. And he says, uh, you know, and, and I know Steve has some really great stuff that he was telling me about the Astrodome. Yeah, like you know, tell and, a story. And he just, what he was doing was... He wasn't allowing me to overthink it, right? Uh, because I didn't know I was going right. to be talking about it. And he basically tricked me into doing a report free and easy. And I had no choice but to just have a conversation. And that was, A, it meant the world to me that he you know, thought that much to, to try and help me along in that way. But B, it kind of gave me the, the blueprint for how you should do it on this broadcast, that it doesn't need to be so formal, it should be more conversational. And uh, that was the, you know, it wasn't a straight line after that, but that was the first breaking of the ice that I can remember. Some of my favorite Steve Gelb stories, a lot in Milwaukee, yeah. the sausage race. Uh -huh. um, a lot of people thought it was fixed. It, no. was, it wasn't fixed. <laughs> no, it was not fixed. And honestly, I, going in, so I think earlier on the broadcast when I told the guys I was doing it, because Keith wanted me to do the, the sausage race for right. like seven years. And uh, so he didn't even know I was doing it until I said it on the broadcast. Um, Gary asked me, are you going to try to win? Are you in it to win it? And I said, no, I was in it not to fall on my face. I mean, that was, when, when you wear those sausage costumes, right. they're so top-heavy. If you see why everybody's always holding their, their arms close to their chest, it's because if you don't, you will, like, the, the head will come out front and you will fall on your face. And you so, practiced before? No, you? but they told, they did tell you when you're putting it on, they explained to you how you have to run. And there, I was in it for like two or three innings, so you're walking around yeah. trying to get the feel for it. But I truly was just trying to not embarrass myself. Right. And yeah. <laughs> then I'm in it, and I turn the corner, and I think the chorizo was in front of me. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know what? I can make this finishing kick. <laughs> <laughs> and I went for it. And when I crossed the finish line, it was especially... Gary went crazy yeah, out of Listening back to Gary and Keith, I mean... I, that was one of their top five calls yeah. ever when, yeah. when that happened. That's great stuff for the broadcast, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Did, I forget, you did the slide too, right? Yeah, well, we, so we joked around. Right. It was after the, the reporter right. in, uh, in, in L.A. had broken his wrist. So we right. did like the, we said I was going to do the slide, and then we did the mini slide. But, you know, to your point about it's great for the broadcast, the best part, I think, about our broadcast, and people know it, but it's not always like overtly talked about, is that the same way you say to me, all right, you don't take yourself too seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Right. We recognize in a way that, not to put down any other broadcast, but I think sometimes people that are doing these sports broadcasts, it's, you know, they forget that they're doing a sports broadcast. Yeah. And you know, to us, especially in baseball where it's 162 and not every night is going to be the most compelling right. game, we want to find a way to make it entertaining. So sometimes that is strictly focusing on baseball. Right. Sometimes that involves me making you know, an idiot of myself and putting myself in a sausage costume. Sometimes it involves us just bringing people into our lives and, and having conversations. But I think we're very 
genuine and real and okay. and we have fun, you know? Steve, Steve, there's a certain amount of hits you're supposed to get. Yeah. Who decides when you go with any? You know? it's, so it's really collaborative, you know? And in the beginning, I, again, putting that pressure on myself the first year, I remember coming to our producer, Greg Picker, and I'd, I'd have, I felt like I had to have a list of five things every day that right. I was doing. Uh, just to give him the option. You've been and, breaking in more on your own recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so, and he would always say to me, like, you don't need all five of these. Let's let's pick one or two good ones right. and go from there. But as I've become more comfortable, as I've developed more of an institutional knowledge, as the guys in the booth have right. become more comfortable, I genu- generally go into most nights not knowing exactly what I'm going to do. I have a lot of things in my back pocket, and I try as best I can to listen to what they're talking about in the booth, and then jumping in when I feel like I have something that. And it'll ask you more questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ronnie and Keith, well, and, all spe- and and especially Gary. I mean, that was one of the biggest lessons early on. Is I would think sometimes I'd have a story, right? And I'd ask the players the questions. I'd get a story, but I wouldn't really push to go deeper. Right. And. Then I would go on the broadcast, and Gary would ask me the natural follow-up that I should have asked the player, right. and I'd say, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'll get back to you. And so now, I, when I have conversations, Gary especially is always in the back of my mind where I think, okay, I've got something interesting, but what will Gary ask me? Right. Think and, and so you know, I still don't nail it every time, but, but it's there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You start preparing and spring training when you're writing a notebook, even though you write every day. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that how you start? Compar- yeah, so what I do now, actually, spring training to me uh, is the most important part of the year. Get to know the guys. And you get like, to know oh, the guys. And I started doing this maybe like my fourth or fifth season. Again, you know, it takes some time to develop what you right. think is, is important. And what I decided to do, I mean, you know, Jay, in spring training, there are so many outlets that come down. And these guys have so many people asking for their time daily um, that I don't want to be, I'm, I'm playing the long game, right? I, I don't want to be asking for a thousand things in spring training right. that will wear them out, uh, this guy again. And so all I do now is I go up to as many guys as I can and I say, hey, all I want from you is about 20 minutes to a half hour one day in the dugout, right? You've seen me in the dugout down in spring right, training right, with guys. Right. And no cameras, no A lot nothing. of stuff is done without cameras. Yep, right. no cameras. Right. And I just want to, if they're new to the team, I want to get to know them. I want to get to know them personally. I want to get, and usually in the course of that conversation, you know, things pique my interest and we um, were able to, to go down the baseball route. But I think it's critical, and I think it gets lost nowadays, to develop relations, like these are these are people, you know. They're, they're you, you. If you get to know them as people, you know what caught my mind listed the huh. game. And I forget. I gave me the pitch. The one who almost went to medical school, right? Well, yeah, Grant Hartwig. I mean, I that was you know yeah. coming out in the middle of it is yeah. a great nugget. Yeah. You know, come, well, so my favorite question I ask guys. It's the first question I ask any new person that I I have haven't met before. Is I'll say, 
at one point, we were the same. At one point, I was a little eager, you were a little eager, yeah. we were you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old. But something happened along the way that took this little eager and made the dream of playing in the major leagues right. that is such a pipe dream for 99.999% of the population, something happened that got you to that level. And I'm really fascinated to hear what that is because you get so many different stories. You get some guys that they were always just this natural talent. They were playing as nine years old. They were playing with 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. Then you get others that, whether it's Grant Hartwig, who didn't expect to be right. playing pro ball, or whether it's, it's – I remember talking to Jerry Blevins in, uh, the first time, and he was like, I didn't even think about playing pro ball right. until like my junior year of college. You know? And so you learn about their journey, and it's, I mean, nobody gets here without right. a lot of obstacles thrown in their way. And it's fascinating to me. Steve, two of my favorite things in Miami when you played in the mariachi. Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah. Well, I think it was called Communidad 305. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and in Chicago with the with, with the, the cuffs thing. Yeah, the cuffs thing. But how did you seek that guy out, though? So, well, there, those were two very different, but very different stories that end up in similar results. You know, the I had heard in Miami that they were trying to replicate the feel of the World Baseball Classic, right, and in these international games, you're allowed to bring like instruments right. in and bevuzelas and all. And so they had this section, 305, where they, the idea, and I think it still exists, is that you can bring instruments into the, the stands. And so I was like, you know what? Like when I hear things like that, I said, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know how it's gonna come out, but I'm gonna take part in it. And so I went, I remember taking a cab like 35 minutes away really? from where That's we were wow. and renting a trumpet and bringing it to them that day. And, you know, the, the band, and I thought it was going to be kind of a, like, you never know how they're going to turn out, but I thought it was going to be like me just playing and sounding really bad right. and me just being alone. And, you know, I, I actually remember talking to Michael Conforto saying, hey, in right field, if you hear somebody, oh, like, yeah. that's me, you know. And then... They knew I was going to do that, and the whole band came out, and we ended up having this whole thing. We played together, so that was like really pre-planned. You know, that was that was great. And, but the the cup snake thing was lightning in a bottle, and this is what I mean too about listening and just being open to whatever. So uh, I think the Mets were they were up six nothing or eight nothing, and it was you know the game at that point. It was a blowout. It wasn't about the game, and, and I always think about all right, how am I, especially before the pitch clock. How am I going to help our guys get through the last few innings here when the game itself is not compelling anymore? And Ron saw the cup snake they were building out there, and he's like, Gelbsy, how many, how many cups do you think there are out there? we gotta, got to go, go count how many cups. I'm like, all right, I'm actually going to go out there. So I went out there, and I just randomly run into this guy, Jake, and we start talking. Did he curse on the air? No, no. So we start talking before we go on the air, and he was – I thought, like, oh, this guy's awesome. You know, he's like, he's just so. To me, he he epitomized a Wrigley Field fan. You know that yeah. the Cubs fans, the team was terrible last year, but they're just having the greatest time, and it's all good fun. And that, and so he he just felt like such a, again, kind of compelling figure. And so Greg Picker, our producer, I said, all right, just come to me. And I I made the mistake of not telling him that I was going to put this guy on the air. Right. And it is, looking back, it was dangerous. I mean, it, was, it is... Uh, he didn't drop an F-bomb. No, you, you 
to put someone that's a little had a few too many on yeah, the air yeah. is dangerous. But what made me feel comfortable, and again, I didn't tell Greg this, so what made me feel comfortable is when I said, hey, will you come on with me and, and tell us about right. building the cup snake? He said to me, he asked me two questions. He goes, hey, uh, can I say hi to my family? I said, sure, you can say hi to your family. And he says, is it okay if I say beer? And I thought to myself, if he's concerned enough <laughs> about saying beer, he's not going to curse. And so I said, well, why don't you just use the word beverage? He goes, okay, beverage, right? And so we start this whole thing. And if you go back and watch it in real time, you see my face. I'm so happy. And then the smile just like goes right off my face because Greg Picker in my ear, our producer of the truck, is going, take the microphone away from him because I hadn't told him. And so I got really nervous that he was going to say something, but he didn't. He was great. And he actually, we've kind of developed a a fun relationship because he asked for my number so I could send him the clip afterwards. And in like the weeks afterwards, he would send me um, like selfies, texts of him in the Wrigley bleachers with the cup snake they were making that day. And he's like, hey, we miss you, Stevie. We miss you. Like, it's cool. So, yeah, it's great. He's a great Steve, guy. what I say, I, I really love about your passion for your other teams besides him. Yeah, yeah, Your dad worked for the Rangers. He did, Became yeah. a Ranger fan. The sneakers thing is historic. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, they kid you back. It's great to have that passion. For, yeah, for, yeah. You know, I mean, well, I'm a diehard Giant fan. I know it. You know, and, and you. With the Jets you, and the Rangers. But, yeah. but you, I mean, you, you, you carry the passion. It's great. And this is the people love about you. You're communicating with the average guy who yeah. loves your teams. You well, know? again, it, I mean, it kind of goes back to the original point. But if you ever lose that, right, what's I agree. the point? Like, you know, I grew. Everybody that does this for a living gets into it because they're obsessive about sports. Yeah. And at one point, they were the fans that are people watching us right now. And so, for me, you know, listen, with the Rangers, I, I'll always say it that I was seven years old when they won the Cup in '94. My dad was on the bench. He was their physical therapist. And so it was such a, like an inflection point in my life where I saw what a winning team did for a city. I right. wanted to be a part of it. And because my dad was a part of it, it didn't feel like it was something that was unreachable. You know, I didn't know which path I was going to take. Right. But, right. Um, and so, but, but again, it's like if I ever got to the point where now I get paid to watch sports yeah. for a living. If I ever got to the point where I was like, ugh, another game, ugh. I, got, I hear then you, man. Wa- then it's the one major passion from my life as a kid is gone. It's not worth doing anymore. So you know? March 22nd this year, mm-hmm. your play-by-play debut. <laughs> yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Were you nervous before? Four or five. Four, yeah. I've never been more nervous did, in my you life. You did with the Reds game, a couple of Reds games. Yeah, so I had Reds and then I had the Hall of Fame games. Right. Um, I, so, you know, for years, so I have never in my life, aside from doing one uh, high school girls lacrosse game when I was working for MSG Varsity, I, never in college, never professionally, never did play-by-play. And I had kind of built up this, 
I guess, this story in my mind that I was incapable of it. It's a very different skill set from reporting or anchoring. Right. And to be honest, if I could go back and do one thing differently when I was in college, it would be pushing past. Well, I started to do some tapes, and I was like, oh, my brain doesn't work this way. Yeah. I'm going to pursue something else. Um, so I had never thought I could do it. And Gary Cohen, Howie Rose, Wayne Randazzo, everybody for years. Wayne who? Uh, Randazzo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's my, my wife feels the same way. <laughs> um, but but they had all been pushing me like you should try it, yeah. you should do it. And I I have such a respect for what these guys do to get to that point. Right. You know, the thousands of games in the minor leagues that Gary Cohen did, that Wayne did, that you know Keith Rad did. That um, I mean, Howie actually didn't really do many minor league games, but but he was always working towards that goal. That I always felt there was. It was a little like too much hubris to think I could just step in and do a major league game. And really it got to the point where, you know, Howie this spring really was on me. Like I was not scheduled to do that game originally in spring. Really? And he just said there, there are a thousand different paths and you may not have done all the games in the minor leagues, but you've been doing this now for 10 years and you call plays when you're doing a report. Right, and, I mean, but and he's like, you really should push yourself to just, it's spring training. Like, and so I did. I was really nervous. Um, and I got through it. And I was like, oh. I remember actually in the ninth inning bef before, we, um, before we went on, on back on air from commercial break, I got in the ear of our producer. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm actually going to do it. Like, yeah. I'm going to do it. Good I'm going to complete you, it. And um, so then after that, they, I remember at, right after that game, I got a call from our producer, Greg Picker. And he said, there is no reason why you shouldn't back up Gary this year. And I said to him, you know what? I've been holding myself back for all these years. I'm not going to do it anymore well, if you think that. Good for and you, uh, so it's, it's been a fun challenge. It so, is. So whenever the Mets season ends, hopefully it's late in October, yeah. you're, you'll still be working. Yeah. yeah. Jets, covering the Jets. You did the draft this year. Yeah. Is it hard to prepare? I mean, you got to go through the NFL rosters now. I know you did yeah. the draft. I mean, so it, it's, it, you, I, I think like five, six, seven years ago, it would have been harder for me. Um, I have gotten really good because of this job at compartmentalizing what I need to do when. Yeah. One of the things that it took me a little while to get about the sideline reporter job is that we're, we're actually asked to do like seven different things. So your day, you, know, you start by figuring out, brainstorming some ideas that you want to ask the players. You do the press conference, what you're going to ask, whether it was Terry or um, you know, now Buck. And then, so there's that, that first component. Then there's the component of preparing for the pregame show and what you're going to do for the pregame show. Then you need to have, you know, three or four things in your back pocket for in-game. And then during the game, you have to be simultaneously preparing to make sure you're ready to go on air whenever they need you and paying enough attention to figure out what you're going to ask a bunch of different guys post-game and on the field and the post-game press conference. And so... Initially, it was like I didn't know how to do that with my brain. Now, I'm very good at, okay, I've got the Mets this week. I'm going to prepare the Mets this week knowing that I've got Jets on Sunday, and I'll steal a couple minutes here or there, and then you know, I'll do things like I'll listen to some podcasts throughout the week so that I can have things seep into my mind while I'm driving. And um, it, I've just gotten really good at compartmentalizing what I need to do when rather than trying to bite it all off at one so time. You did, for relief, you did your, your, your stuff away. My... 
my my way to relax and lock with Johnny Frank used yeah. to torment me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rats in my bag, white on my <laughs> my glasses, uh, steal my bags, uh, ice cream in my things. Yeah, but yeah. you're doing it the right way, Steve. I really do. Thanks, I think you really. I mean, I was with you at the beginning, and I know all kidding aside, it wasn't easy. To no, raise it was it. very, very it was rough. Hard and, yeah. and both of us loved Kevin. I mean, yep. He was a great guy. Yep. Kevin never fought his success, but still was succeeding a, mm -hmm. a tough guy. And I think yep. the way you've done it, I think the fans love you, and I, I really applaud the way you went about it. Thanks, buddy. And thank you for your time. Man. Hey, Jay. Thanks, I love Steve. you, buddy. I love you too, man. Thanks, Steve.